0: On the fourth floor, Alpha Global Corner, we were unable to make that rescue. We're making a rescue now on the Alpha side. Welcome to another edition of 15 Minutes with Dr. Chuck. Today, we're going to talk about the lessons of life. We're put on this earth to live a life. Everybody lives it differently, but some of us don't always choose to live a happy life.
1: I think a choice is important. I think it's important to own that and say, yes, people choose a negative for an unhappy life. A person has a spiritual, mental, and physical reality in life. And we leave out the spiritual in most of it. And so I figured out years ago there's something spiritual and there's something about the choice that a person makes. This is an important issue, I guess, for me in terms of working with with many, many veterans. I could read something to you. The rules for being human. You will receive a body. You may like it or dislike it, but it will be yours for the entire duration of this time around. You will learn lessons. You are enrolled in a full-time, informal school called LIFE. Each day in this school, you will be presented with opportunities to learn lessons. You may choose to like the lessons or think them irrelevant or stupid. There are no mistakes, only lessons. Growth is a process of experimentation, of trial and error. The failed experiments are as much a part of the process as the experiment that ultimately works. Each lesson is repeated until it is learned. A lesson is presented to you in a variety of forms and as often as needed until you have learned it. When you have learned it, you will then go on to the next lesson. Learning lessons does not end. There is no part of life that does not contain its lessons. If you are alive, there are lessons to be learned. You are exactly where you need to be. The wished for there is no better than where you are now. When your imagined there becomes a here, you simply imagine another there that will again look better than here does now. Others are only mirrors of you. You cannot love or hate something about another person unless it reflects to you something you love or hate about yourself. What you make of life is up to you. You have all the tools and resources you need. What you do with them is a matter of your own choosing. The answers to life questions lie inside you, waiting to be discovered. All you need to do is listen, hear, and trust. From time to time, you will tend to forget these rules.
0: Dr. Chuck Allen from Colorado, that was pretty powerful. This was presented at a
1: symposium I went to in the early 90s, and, and I went up to the presenter and I said, I've got to have a copy of that. I've just kind of passed this out and shared this with many, many people over the years. Because again, it it, it takes a perspective on, on what and why we're here. We're trying to bridge the gap between
0: mental health and the fire service, but what you just said there, it's for
1: everyone. That's right. When you're in that that experience, it, it seems catastrophic. You step back from it and it's not the end of the world. And and the same you could say about Hiroshima. You could say the same about Nagasaki, Pearl Harbor. Things like this happen. And the question is why do we why do we obsess about it's it's catastrophic? rather than, you know, bad things happen. We'll recover. The theme here is death. We experience death, and and I guess my challenge would be, so be it, what's wrong with death? What's wrong with dying? I, I remember back years ago when I was a teenager, there was a girl, she had a car accident and laid face down in a snowbank for about 30 minutes. They had her in the hospital and had her on all kinds of ventilators and machines and stuff like that. And a year or so later, they are saying, wait, she's not going to recover. This is not it. Let's unplug the machines. And, and they had to, the, the, actually the Catholic Church had to help sue the hospital to release her, send her home. But they wouldn't release her because she would die. And, and she did a week later after they got her home. And the bottom line is she was set free. Why, why would you want to keep her in a vegetative state in the hospital for the, for, for the next 10, 20 years? Why would you do that? Why not let her go, let nature take its course, and uh, she, get, she becomes free? And, and, and again, it doesn't matter what your religious or spiritual philosophy is, whether you go to heaven or you go to hell or you go to purgatory or anything else, it's just an issue of being set free. And that, that's the sort of concept that I've used with many, many veterans who, who were dealing with uh, the, the killing uh, that they did and the, the people around them that were killed. But it's a matter of getting your head around it from a perspective of, okay, so be it. You're now unzipped and set free from the body. Were you
0: always religious? Did you find faith later in life or did
1: you were you raised that way? I grew up in the funeral business. My parents owned a funeral home. And I grew up around, I mean, we lived in the funeral home, so I used to play under caskets and do all of that stuff like that. When I was old enough to help lift, I started helping my dad, and we were in a small town, so it was it was a you know very, very small community, far 5,000 people. So I was helping with ambulance and funeral. We had the ambulance service as well, so I was, I was going on pretty pretty nasty uh, car accidents and stuff like that as a kid and driving the ambulance. You know, I was 17, I think 16 or 17, when I went on a call. Uh, it was an oil field accident, and I turned the guy over, and his face was gone. He, he had been, uh, you know, basically not decapitated, but his, you know, the... the, the uh, the sled that scraped him, just scraped his face off. And I had no no traumatic reaction to that. I, I it, it, it didn't bother me. You asked about the religious part. I, I grew up, you know, going to church, Sunday school, and doing all that stuff. Uh, so I had a perspective on religion. But it wasn't until I was in Vietnam that my spiritual side woke up. And that is when um, I was walking across the compound one day and I I, I realized that, you know, I could die. This is a place, and I said to myself, you know, I, I'm 13,000 miles from home and I don't want to die in this damn place, but I might. And if this is the last place on the face of the earth that I walk, so be it. And, and at that point, I had this incredible feeling of relief. It was like, something in my head got in harmony with reality about, about my own death. And I didn't realize it until years later that I, I actually made peace with my own death. So seeing a dead body and dealing with a dead body was absolutely, I had no emotional experience because I grew up that way. I grew up in that funeral business and the ambulance business. And so the blood and guts has never bothered me because I was never taught to be bothered by it. And so that's sort of the perspective on it that kind of led to uh, years later the psychology of it, and that is exploring those issues and uh, working with veterans years and for years and years about their dish death issues, and I realized that the key to helping them was to help them go in their head and find their own answer to their own spiritual issues and make a connection to that and the reality that's out there you know you go on a bad call and that person was killed or that child was killed and you have a way to get your head around it you have a perspective and a philosophy that is personal that helps you make that make sense and and, and you know as well as i do there's many firefighters who are not bothered by a call and others are are devastated by that call Why, what's the difference between those two well, one of them can get their head around it, and the other still is gonna be working on it. And hopefully that's where they'll get some help, they'll get some counseling or something to help them learn how to get their head around it, because there's gonna be another bad call.
0: People that I know will say, I just like people. I like good energy, and when I'm around someone that's got good energy, it's it's enjoyable just to be around them, and uh, I was in China, I was. I had a company and I was buying a bunch of product and an Australian guy came up to me and said, Hey, do you mind if I follow you around? By the end of the day, he goes, can I follow you around tomorrow too? And I said, sure. And I said, why? What are you thinking of buying? He goes, actually, I don't really care about buying anything. You just have such a contagious attitude. What does that mean? He goes, I don't know. You're laughing. You're joking with people that you, you know, you can't even speak their language. And it's fun. It was, this was a fun day. I want to do it again tomorrow. And I thought, oh, that's, that's nice. But I wasn't always that way. I went to church uh, every week as a small kid, and I didn't like it. Really struggled with my childhood. I felt it was the worst thing that ever happened. I had a lot of blame until I got older, and actually I had to write a book to really look at my childhood and how much positive I had and how actually fantastic my childhood was. I'm in the last chapter of my life, but I'm so glad I got that opportunity to relook at my life and look at it in a completely different way of how much fun it was. Like my 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 kids are stressed and about things that are so different than I was stressed. about. we didn't have cell phones or called in for dinner by one of your parents yelling out the back door to, or the street lights came on. When the street lights came on, you knew it was time to go. You know that was it. It was so simple. You know my kids, they would never do. Well, I don't think they would ever do anything criminal. But me and my buddies, we stole things, broke into things. But that was a neighborhood that we lived in. Low income, half a dozen kids. It seems crazy now, but when I look back, my childhood was actually quite fun. It was very fun.
1: And that's me because you dug down and picked it apart, and you you know you started out with a negative impression of the overall, and then when you started to pick it apart, you realized wait a minute, wait a minute, this isn't this isn't so bad. There were bad things, the bad times, but overall add it all up it's it's pretty good
0: well both my parents were alcoholics and I always wanted to you know be adopted and then children's services came to my house and actually took control of my family and I had the opportunity to go to foster care and and now I'm 13 and I didn't want to go now like I had no rules where I was I didn't want to go somewhere where there were rules (laughs) but I always blamed my parents in so many ways because they're alcoholics but What I realized later in life when I became an alcoholic, that they were battling depression. And in those days, that's how they battled it to drink it away every single night. And that was their medication of choice. And I actually felt bad for them, but I also forgave them. And uh, I think being able to learn how to forgive has probably been the most important lesson I've learned in my life. In fact, to be able to learn to forgive myself. Was also very important. I mean, I did some bad things. I hurt people. I fought a lot. I was disrespectful to people's property. I always held that against myself, and I, it bothered me. I just I think I I spoke in you know four dozen schools last year, and because it's my way of giving giving back and making up for my childhood and how bad I was, and that that's how I started speaking in schools. It's about drug awareness, but I did it because. I wanted to give back for all the things that I did, but now I do it because I enjoy it, but I've forgiven myself. And that only happened a few years ago when I wrote that book.
1: Let me offer, again, another idea or perspective on what you just said. If you were to take, if you were going to take a trigonometry class, it might be real realistic for you to take algebra for that as a prerequisite. Is that fair? Yep. Okay. I would suggest that the person that you are today is you, in other words, the, the, the person that you were as a kid was a necessary prerequisite for you to become the person that you are, for you to have the humanistic or the human uh, connection and attitude toward other people now. And you may not have it, what you've got right now might not be if you hadn't done those things in the past.
0: It was very powerful. Well, thanks very much for being on this podcast and all the podcasts, Dr. Chuck. I think you really have the ability to uh, make a difference when people are struggling or looking for guidance. I feel fortunate that we have this means and opportunity to do it in a podcast. It's. I know we have lots of listeners all over the world. It's pretty exciting to be part of that. And uh, yeah, you're making a difference out there. So I just... Uh, I don't always get the opportunity to say it, but thank you very much for everything you do. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks. Well, that wraps up another edition of 15 Minutes with Dr. Chuck. If you have questions, email us at steve at muscularmentalhealth.com.
1: See you next time.